0: Quick question before we really get started: yeah. Are you going to splice and? Oh yeah! Great! Oh yeah. Perfect! You're going to sound great, no matter what. <laughs> <laughs> perfect. Um.
1: Genevieve Siegel-Holly is an assistant professor of educational leadership in the School of Education at Virginia Commonwealth University. Her research focuses on racial and socioeconomic stratification in America's public schools and asks the persistent question of what we could accomplish if we were more intentional about integration. She's the author of the book, When the Fences Come Down, 21st Century Lessons from Metropolitan School Desegregation, as well as many other peer-reviewed journal articles. Dr. Siegel-Holly is one of the busiest people that I know and is fiercely committed to issues of equity in public education. She talked about how some of the most persistent challenges facing public schools relate to how segregated we still are in our school systems. So
0: so I think the purpose of public education, you get different answers depending on who you ask, and increasingly very different answers. There are a range of purposes, a broad range of purposes, um, and that You know, we need to think about preparing future citizens, um, preparing future workers, to helping students learn how to function together, to work together um, in a rapidly changing society. Uh, Exposure to a range of curriculum and ideas and fostering and nurturing critical thinking, um, problem solving, Mm -hmm. creativity. All of those different things, but because we've become so focused on how to measure outcomes in a very simplistic way with these standardized tests, it makes it it makes it hard to keep the range of goals at the forefront of our minds.
1: Yeah, yeah, so is it is it more to the benefit of the individual who's mm-hmm. navigating the public education system so they become a different kind of person on mm-hmm. the other side of it, or is it more? That we have a society that we have to run, and we need to train mm-hmm. qualified people to run that society mm-hmm. later on.
0: Mm-hmm. I think I think you're getting at the tension between education as an individual pursuit and education as a collective pursuit, education as a public good versus a private good. And i i don't think I don't think it's particularly helpful to to keep those binaries. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, in place, um, it's, it's all of the above. But again, given our narrowing focus on the goals, I think we're also becoming more fixated on the individual pursuit. And not just the individual pursuit, this idea of like the relative success of students, not the collective success. So the relative success, meaning some, some students are doing better than others, pursuing their individual goals. Without regard for the idea that students are coming into school with really unequal opportunities. Mm,
1: Yeah, and that leads really well into the next question. I have a a theory about what you think with this, but what do you (laughs) see as the biggest challenge facing public education today?
0: Um, Well, like I said earlier, I'm in sort of a grim moment, so (laughs) 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 feeling feeling a little bit overwhelmed with the challenges. Um, I think the the biggest challenge confronting schools today is directly reckoning with the idea that we have a public school enrollment that is shifting faster than our schools can really grasp. Um, and as it shifts, as it becomes more racially and economically diverse amid you know toxic inequality, there's a great new book by Thomas Shapiro about the relationship between the rising inequality and the legacy of racial discrimination in our country. And so until we directly wrestle with those things, our schools are just going to reproduce that inequality Mm -hmm. instead of offering a path toward upward mobility, Mm -hmm. which, again, is another primary purpose of schooling in my mind.
1: Yeah, it seems like um, people are becoming aware of that, the shifting demographics and how schools look very different now than they did even five, ten years ago. Mm-hmm. And the way that people react to it is mm-hmm. a big indicator of what they think the future of public education should be. So if mm-hmm. you see those shifting demographics as a challenge that you just kind of have to deal with or if you see it as an opportunity mm-hmm. that we need to re- maybe retrain our teachers to mm-hmm. be more culturally responsive, which is a Merck study about that.
0: Mm-hmm. And, and let me be clear that I do see tremendous opportunity um, with those shifts, but we're not gonna be able to capitalize on that opportunity if we don't recognize what's happening and train teachers and recruit teachers who are, um, and leaders who are equipped to take advantage of those opportunities. Um, and, and it's not just that. So the inequalities between schools there are structures in place that make our our system of schooling wildly unequal, um, and one of the the most important structures are the school district boundary lines that separate kids into urban, suburban, exurban, rural communities, um, and they act as walls, and they wall off opportunity, high opportunity schools from low opportunity schools. You know, back when Brown was decided. Um, that decision was about moving children into schools of equal opportunity within the same school systems. You had black schools and white schools in the same school district. But, you know, alongside the discriminatory policies that shaped our metropolitan areas, the school segregation became segregation between school systems, not just schools and those systems. Mm-hmm. So we have to think about both of those things
1: your research focuses on this, Mm -hmm. right? So talk about the role of research in advancing public education. How do you Mm -hmm. think it fits in? Mm -hmm. And not just yours specifically. We'll definitely talk about that too. But just in general, what's the role of educational researchers in advancing public education?
0: You know, I think that the best research is right there in the mix of, of policy and practice. Um... that it's informing the policy and the practice, that it's informed by the policy and the practice. And it should be relevant. It should be directly related to the biggest needs, the biggest problems Mm -hmm. in public education.
1: How much do we do that now?
0: You know, I I think we could do more.
1: I mean, in terms of being able to apply... Researched in mm-hmm. a way that schools can directly benefit from it. Are we saying the mm-hmm. same things in the research realm that we are in the K twelve
0: practitioner mm-hmm. realm? I think I say we can do better because I still see a lot of disconnect.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So your research is intended to to do that, to kind of bridge those gaps and really focus on how how we can improve the ways that we draw it, um, district lines and things like that, so mm-hmm. that we can have better opportunities for all of our students mm-hmm. so that we're not so. Um, segregated in Mm -hmm. ways that um, in some ways our country hasn't even experienced before now. So talk about your research, racial and socioeconomic stratification in public schools. Mm
0: -hmm. You know, it has lots of different strands, but the, the big motivating force behind it is really trying to understand the phenomenon of school segregation, how it works, the dynamics that contributed to it, that continue to contribute to it, and then what we can do about it, and how well what we try to do about it works.
1: Yeah. That's so what contributes to it? Because we, mm-hmm. we Brown versus Board of Education happened, so it's illegal to have mm-hmm. a segregated school system, intentionally segregated. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. I, I think it's pretty clear that we are still a very mm-hmm. segregated school system in our country.
0: Yeah, what and contributes it, to that? it's complex. It's complex, Um, but if I was going to point to some main culprits, they would include um, really stubborn patterns of residential segregation Mm -hmm. by race, but increasingly by income. Mm -hmm. Um, It would include those school-related boundary lines, so the district boundary lines, but also the attendance zone boundaries that we draw within school districts. It would include school choice, and that's a big one because it has exploded over the past couple of decades. And I think there are ways to design school choice that promote voluntary desegregation, but oftentimes we neglect key aspects of, of choice that is actually going to promote equity, um, including free transportation.
1: Yeah. <laughs> Let's talk about choice a little yeah. bit more, okay. because I feel like um, that choice debate is right at the heart mm-hmm. of how people are viewing public education today, because it's almost like some mm-hmm. people have a very extreme not necessarily extreme, but a very um, privatized kind of view of, mm-hmm. of school choice where you provide something like a voucher mm-hmm. for somebody to go to a different school with the public funds, mm-hmm. and they could take it anywhere. Mm-hmm. And then there's different versions of school choice, and I think that um, people are either instinctively really for it or really resistant to mm-hmm. it, but there might be something in the middle that could be a, a mm-hmm. version of it that would actually benefit students. Mm-hmm. So how? what do you think the role of school choice would be?
0: Well, I think... Uh, that I'm going to answer that because that's a critical question. But I think that you know, with these conversations about choice today, it's really important to remind ourselves of what the roots of this debate are. And it goes back to something we were talking about at the beginning of this conversation. So the idea that we would provide public money for private schooling goes right back to massive resistance to Brown versus Board of Education. We were going to provide state money to help white children avoid desegregation by attending private schools, um, and we did. Uh, states across the South did, and I don't, I don't think it is too far-fetched to say that we're seeing a similar retreat from the public sphere today, as we grow more diverse and more unequal, um, as we did at the time of Brown. That's the grim side. (laughs) Um, On the more positive side, I do think we have school districts from around the country that have experimented with uh, managed choice plans. Sometimes they're called controlled choice plans that seek to promote the idea of family choice in education alongside the idea of equity in all of the choice options available to families. And those plans, you know, if you boil it down very simplistically, they would look like families ranking a set of schools in their school system or across multiple school systems, submitting their ranking, their preferences to a central office, and the central office making the final assignment decision based on lots of factors, including proximity to the home, siblings, um, capacity, but also diversity.
1: Mm-hmm. Why is transportation such a key element of a
0: mm-hmm.
1: of a school choice program that actually accomplishes mm-hmm. access for mm-hmm. all students?
0: Mm-hmm. Um, those plans include free transportation. Uh, you know, if you can't get to a school of choice, it's not a real choice. Mm-hmm. Um, but they also include really extensive and targeted outreach um, because you can't make a choice unless you know about it. And lots of times, choice exacerbate stratification because people have unequal access to information. Mm -hmm. More highly resourced families have lots of information about their options. Sure. Um, And you don't get equitable access to that information unless there's a real intentional effort behind it. Um, And the other thing that those plans have in common is uh, that they have diversity goals. Diversity doesn't usually happen in any sort of stable way, at least, without Mm -hmm. some intentionality. Yeah, you have
1: to really... Yeah, intentionally pursue it. Yeah. Yeah, and I th- what you said really struck me about how um, it seems like in some ways we're sort of saying the same things that we used to say either pre-Brown versus Board or right around the time mm-hmm. Brown versus Board came out, but maybe we're speaking more euphemistically about mm-hmm.
0: it. Well, you know, yes and no. I think our distance from that time, from, you know, there were... Um, our distance from that time makes us more complacent around race and discrimination. But at the same time, we are in a period of pretty overt, <laughs> overtly racist commentary. Um, I, I've been wrestling with the, the difference between now and then, and in some ways, the similarities strike me more than the, the differences
1: yeah what what strikes me about it is it seems like there's really compelling and clear evidence that if you have a, a socioeconomically integrated school system in a way that the schools are thoughtfully balanced that you have a ceiling mm-hmm. on free reduced lunch percentage mm-hmm. for example in your schools mm-hmm. that it's clear that the the lower income students who have a chance to attend a mixed income school tend to do better mm-hmm. overall right so mm-hmm. like The central question in my research is would a low-income student do better in a mixed-income school Mm -hmm. compared to a high-poverty school? Mm -hmm. There seems to be pretty compelling evidence that Mm -hmm. that's the case and that there's pretty strong evidence that the students who Our higher income, which often correlates with doing better in school, Mm -hmm. tend to either do the same Mm -hmm. in those schools when they become more integrated, Mm -hmm. or they do even better. Mm -hmm. And then they get a real-world education about This Mm -hmm. is what the world's like. We're a diverse Mm -hmm. country. This is where it's supposed to be. Mm -hmm. And yet there's all this resistance Mm -hmm. still. Mm Where does this resistance come from? Mm
0: -hmm. I think it comes from multiple arenas. Part of it is this sort of perpetuating nature of segregation. So if you grow up isolated, you have parents who are isolated um, from people who are different from them by income, by race, and that is increasingly the case, and it's always been the most intense for white students. Um, Then that breeds fear and anxiety. And I think a lot of resistance comes from, whether it's acknowledged or not, fear and anxiety of something different, something new. Um, but, you know, the irony is that we could really work to tackle that fear and anxiety head-on if we let our youngest kids gain exposure to each other.
1: Mm, sure, yeah. It, uh, it, it makes me think of the, this American life mm-hmm. piece, the problem that we all live with, yeah. and how incredible that story was and how on the, the tail end of what happened in the Normandy School District is the students did end up integrating, and they were largely receptive to Mm -hmm. each other. Mm -hmm. So this initial resistance Mm -hmm. and hesitancy wasn't necessarily on the part of the students. So if you give them an opportunity to, they'll rise to the occasion, it seems like.
0: But the vitriol and the fear that was in the voices of the parents resisting that move. I know, and one of the hopeful things in that segment Was the reaction of the teachers and the leaders at the school that was going to open its doors to some of the low-income kids of color? You know, they they were ready. They had a welcoming party. They were thinking about different ways to pull the kids together on equal footing right away. Um, You know, so these things these things are not immutable, and I think we look for smaller victories to become bigger victories
1: yeah is there a reason to believe that we're going to become more integrated or less integrated in the future in our schools Mm -hmm. in our public schools
0: well one of i mean one of the hard things to grapple with is that as we're becoming more diverse and rapidly so you know white students were 80 percent of the enrollment in 1970 and they're less than half especially in the younger grades across the country at this point um so that's this incredibly rapid shift and you would expect to see more more diverse schools with that growing diversity and we're really we're really not looking at that right now Um, i think one of the one of the high points is that white students are slightly less isolated in segregated white schools today than they were even a decade ago but it's, it's a very small shift. You know. I think the typical white student goes to a school that's about 70% white, and in 2000 it was maybe 75% white.
1: Mm. And
0: that's at a time when whites are less than half of the enrollment. So, mm.
1: uh, What do you see as the future of public schools?
0: I think we're going to have to fight for the future that we want. Um, I think we need to resist efforts to make public schools less public and more private. Um, I think there will be some inroads over the next few years because we've taken away a lot of the backstops at the state level with our legislatures, um, with our governorships, with our courts. Um, So people need to understand what's happening. They really need to dig into the language that's used to describe what the goals are, uh, to expose that language for what it really represents, which is an assault on something that is so critical to our society, to the success of our society.